what's up, what's up? <laughs> this is a total natural answering totally of the phone. Supernatural uh regular day <laughs> of, of you guys just FaceTiming me over the computer and also recording the audio. Absolutely. Yeah, we're really great at um natural quarantine pod. This is uh <laughs> FaceTime episode number two, Danny. FaceTime FaceTime with books. <laughs> FaceTime with books. It's yeah. been uh, it's been two weeks since the last episode, which in Rona time is approximately two months. Seven hundred thousand years. We've all aged just immensely Rona in the last time, two weeks. Rona time is a real thing. It's real. Um, but yeah, we're glad to be back at it with the back half of Sing Unburied Sing. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about uh, a couple things. This is uh, a very momentous episode. First of all, it is episode 20. Hey. Which is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we now have a website. Beertimewithbooks.podbean.com. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Hell yeah. We have an Instagram. <laughs> Surprise. We have a Twitter. <laughs> we have a logo. Did we talk about the logo last time? No logo. There was no logo last time. No logo. Yeah, we got a logo now. Shout out uh, Kara Frain. Kara Frain Designs. Hell yeah, Kara Frain. <laughs> uh, follow her on Instagram. She's great. Yeah, so. R-A-Y-N-E. Yeah, check the pod out on all the platforms. This is something we've been talking about since day one. It took, like, a good... Brian got Brian got quarantine productive. <laughs> yeah. And just went hard on went uh, hard. getting them all up on the platforms. Yeah, so they are up there. We are super pumped about that. And also, uh, yeah, we've been living the quarantine life, so we uh, have a couple beers that uh, we had to run out to the grocery stores to get. Luckily, the beer stock was still fine <laughs> out there. So let's go ahead and go around and talk about what we're drinking. Who wants to start? I can start. Um, I'm drinking a KC Beer Co. Hefeweizen. Which is a Bavarian style wheat ale. Um, it's good. It's pretty sweet. I'm Jamie. Hi. <laughs> it's pretty sweet, as in taste, or just like it's sweet, man. Both. It like it has it has a subtle sweetness to it, like compared to other wheat yeah, beers. Definitely. Danny, what are you drinking this fine quarantine evening? I've got another tart apple Rattler. Uh, not quite uh, summer vibes, but I mean, maybe it looks like we're me inside all spring. So, um, trying to uh, trying to feel a little summery. I'm gonna do a little a uh, little ASMR. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the ASMR. I thought that came through the FaceTime. Great. Yeah, the ASMR through FaceTime is a whole new experience of nice computery echo, which is a a good thing. Uh, And then for me, this is Brian. I'm also having a Casey Beer Co. Hefeweizen. Yeah, it does have a sweet uh, kick to it, which uh, is very unique, at least for what I was expecting for for wheat because we've been having some of the Boulevard Unfiltered for a couple episodes. We also have some in the fridge right now. Uh, but I would say that is not sweet, and this definitely corners a, a different part of the wheat market. So, uh, yeah, pretty good. And now uh, we also have had plenty of quarantine time for media, so again, we'll try to keep it semi-compressed here. If you want to do like a list of some short things or deep dive on one and list out a couple, uh, whatever floats your boat. But uh, we'll, we'll pass it back around. Jamie, what, what, what media have you been consuming in the quarantine? Um, honestly, most of the media I'm consuming is the same as last time. Uh, I am still listening to the audiobook for The Sympathizer. Um, and I've gotten into it now. I think last time I had listened to like a chapter of it and I wasn't sure about it, but I do like it. I'm about halfway through. 
I've listened to like eight hours or something. A, a classic beard time with books about halfway. <laughs> about halfway. Um, so I'm still listening to that. I'm enjoying it. I'm also still reading The Buried Giant um, by Kazuo Ishiguro. Still enjoying that. I'm also about halfway through that. So I've, I'm consistent in um, how I'm moving through those. The only thing that's new, I guess, that I've consumed i mean okay two things first thing is a podcast that i started listening to this week um that is hosted by marlon james the author um and also his editor uh it's called marlon and jake read dead people um and it's basically (laughs) just them like both praising and complaining the books complaining about the books that they either love or hate that are by dead people because they felt like it wasn't good for them to talk about authors who are still living (laughs) so um i listened to one episode the first or i think it's the second episode i listened to that earlier this week um and i really enjoyed it because if you haven't read marlon james he's great uh he's a Jamaican American author um, and his stuff is really really interesting Brian and I have both read um, A Brief History of Seven Killings by him great book yeah and the episode I listened to I chose it because it in the description it said that they were talking about Jane Eyre and White Sargasso Sea and I was like hey I know both of those <laughs> I can I can talk about that uh, or listen to that and understand it uh, so that was good and then also, Brian and I watched Tiger King, but I'll let him delve deeper into that. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Tiger King. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and just segue into that. I think, Danny, you're, you're deep in Tiger King right now, too. Will and I are mid-episode four as we speak. Oh, well, um, so oh my we God. can't give anything so away. more tiger king content in my evening uh that we i was like it was like 6 15 and i was like can we just watch some of it before <laughs> the i was like i have got to know what's happening <laughs> yeah it is so insane that like i think i've said this to multiple people you get to the first episode and already it's just like crazy enough where you're like i'm satisfied with how crazy this is and then every episode it's just like oh yeah that thing that was nothing yeah. here's a whole other thing like it like it like so artfully escalates from the first episode, but the first episode is insane, <laughs> and so like is it, it's outrageous. The thing is, is a couple people have been asking like, would Tiger King be as popular if it didn't come out in the middle of this quarantine? And honestly, I think that it would. Like, I get that everybody is in like a more opportune position to binge through something like it but i just think it's so crazy that the word of mouth would still be getting out and it would be watched to a similar degree yeah their twitter conversation was like not any more than you know other like ridiculous cultural zeitgeists like love is blind even like i feel like it was kind of on the same everyone was just like this show is outrageous on twitter and other platforms and like I get this this reminded me of that. I feel like I I agree with you. I feel like th- this would absolutely be something people were into. I think it's weirder than <laughs> a lot of things people usually watch that is that, that are out even if it like, you know, it's it's weird even for something that is outrageous. Yeah, and the thing is is like once the meme game also hits a certain point which it has on Tiger King, it's all bets off. Like once the meme game hits that top level it's just it's bound to be uh you know taking over culture so that w- that's been a thing it's been nuts danny can't wait to hear your thoughts when you get done with that uh still <laughs> making my way along with all the king's men on audiobooks when i take walks through uh secluded areas outside keeping good social distance i'll be listening to that and then also uh, the Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, I am loving. There was certain chapters already. Uh, I'm not, like, halfway through or anything. I'd say maybe a third, but, like, I laughed out loud, not because it was funny, but because it was just, like, one of those things that I, I told Jamie, it reminds me of Pinchon, where it's, like, 
you don't know what's going on for a large portion of the chapter until the very last page. <laughs> Bringing back these bad memories for these two. Uh, but until the last page and all of a sudden it ties uh, everything together and you're just like, oh my God, that's incredible. So uh, that's been a fun thing. And then just uh, on the side, we've been watching some older movies. I just watched Sound of Music. Or not sound of music. What the heck am I saying? Uh, singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> sound of music. We were watching. Or we were looking at all these older movies, and that was recommended. What the heck am I saying? Uh, but <laughs> singing in the rain was just so good. And I know that it's like a classic and everything, but it was like unexpected. That it was just one that you could tell was for its time, moving along what movies could be. That's what it felt like to me. It's like early 50s, and yet everything that they're doing was like, whoa, I can't believe this is from the 50s. So that was cool. And then uh, just listening to a lot of Brazilian jazz. I've been taking video guitar lessons, and all he keeps assigning me is Brazilian jazz songs. So I keep looking up top Brazilian albums of all time and just going deep on some Brazilian jazz. So lots of Luis Bonfa and uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim. So that's been the deal. Danny? What have you been getting into? Um, yeah, Tiger King, baby. Uh is is <laughs> baby. <laughs> is on the watch list. Um uh yeah, Will and I have been watching that. We've been watching we started The Crown. Apparently, like my media T or TV consumption is just you guys like two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, because we, yeah, we finished The Crown, I guess, since la- or did how we already finished it. We finished it, so You yeah. like you finished Mrs. Maisel, you finished The Crown, you finished Tiger King. That's what I'm doing this week. Uh, <laughs> nice. I, I finished Maisel, which I adored. Um and then um I uh yeah, I, we're watching The Crown, which like um, Will 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 doesn't like watching. He like he's not a good binger. He doesn't like watching a ton of it. Like Will I is. Watch. We've never talked about Will. I think on the pod. Who's Will? Well, I I like, mentioned him like very briefly. Will's my boyfriend. He's here for quarantine. Uh, we're hungered down working remotely together at my kitchen table. Uh, and he's been here for two weeks, and he's going to be here through April, like presumably. I don't know. He might just live here now. I've, we're not. We're not sure. What a way to move in together. Yeah. What, yeah. No. So he lives in Chicago. We're long distance, and uh, he has uh, quasi moved in. Um, and uh, it's been it's been good. Um, we like you know since we're long distance, we like don't always get tons of time to just like watch tons of shows together. Yeah, like binging all the stuff together. So we're consuming a lot of content together. But even still, like I love watching things. I can sit and watch things for like hours, and he. Unless it's a movie, he's not as interested in doing that. And so we'll watch The Crown, and I'll be like, "Do you want to watch Seventeen more?" And he'll be like, "Could we take a? Could we not?" It's so, good. To, it's good to space out because that show is covering even up to this point. It's been like over like two decades or more. Yeah, with, with, I feel like you need to go slow. With flashbacks, even I think it's covering over three so far. So you're you're getting a lot of history in that amount yeah, of time. Yeah, and I. I mean, I you you guys mentioned that like one of the things you liked about it was being able to just like look up, um, look up all of the historical events. And I, I mean, I, I like doing that anyway anyway with shows. But it it really is like what well, we pause it like every twenty minutes, and we're just like, did they get married? Who is he? Who are her kids? <laughs> and like, I, it's like really like or you know ridiculous things happen, and you're just like, did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. That really like, and I mean, they're very it's very like mostly historically accurate so i really loved doing that um we're like seven episodes in um and uh i also started um will was done with tv for the night a few nights ago and i was like i want to watch something else so i started killing eve a mm. few nights ago and it's uh written by B. waller bridge um the writer of fleabag oh, and i did not know that uh, I really which is one that. that's actually the only that's like the only reason that i started watching i mean aside from it stars sandra oh who is like Oh my god, just so great! But also, um, part of the reason I even started watching it was because I knew that Phoebe Waller-Bridge was a writer, was the writer, and so um, I really like it. It's like basically like a, a badass like female assassin is like being chased by like an equally badass like detective, <laughs> and uh, Sandra O oh is the detective, and it's really or not officially, but she's like you know she's chasing her, and it's really I don't know I really like it so far. I'm uh, I'm I think I'm four episodes into that so i recommend killing you um 
I finished a few books. Speaking of Wide Sargasso Sea, I finished Wide Sargasso Sea, uh, and I loved it. And um, I started I started uh, Flannery O'Connor's short stories. So lots of media. <laughs> we were there when you bought that. Yeah, I, and I now, thought about it, so the book... <laughs> and I know, but that's what's so crazy, is we were there and you bought it, and now it's just like, that even seems like forever ago, but that's fun that you're you're diving deep. Yeah, I'm trying to read one of, uh, at least one per day. They're just, like, good little, like, bite-sized, like, stories that, like, like lightly traumatize you sometimes <laughs> in the middle. Like, it seems very, like, innocuous, and then all of a sudden, at the end, you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, yeah. uh... Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm loving those. Well, speaking of stories that lightly traumatize you, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful segue. Let's let's get into. <laughs> I don't know if you guys got that choking noise on audio, but that was... <laughs> speaking of stories that lightly traumatize you, let's get into the back half of our book for this week. This is the second half of Sing Unburied Sing, Jamie. Take it away. Well, Brian, (laughs) uh, we finished Sing Unburied Sing. I've been sitting here for the past 10, 15 minutes, however long we've been on, trying to figure out how to summarize the second half. Um, (laughs) Because I, like, prepare questions or talking points, but I always forget about the summary. Uh, So, help me, please, because there's so much going on. Um, Where we left off last time, we had just picked up Michael from jail. Uh, And Richie. And Richie the ghost. We picked him up, too. Uh, Part of the second half uh, is their journey back home, back to uh, JoJo's grandparents' house. But uh, a lot happens on that journey. Uh, a lot of crazy things happen. This it picked up so quickly at the beginning. Yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, so many insane things. They they stop back at um, Al's house, which is Michael's lawyer. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Michaela or Kayla is still sick for a while. Uh, M- Michael and Leone like bang in the living room the police uh, scene oh you're missing the police scene that was I like thought that was after al uh that that was like right i think right off the i'm pretty sure it was after. the end of the first half but they get pulled over and it was just like yeah it was tra- gonna get to traumatizing that. i'm pretty sure that was after because i thought that they went straight back to uh the grandparents house after the pullover scene but maybe i'm wrong um but they get pulled over by the cops while Michael is driving. Um, he doesn't have a registered driver's license. Um, so they switch seats while driving on the highway. Uh, they're both worried about the drugs that are in the car because Michael got them from Al. No, they had that already. No. I- Danny, can you help? All right, yes, keep talking. <laughs> Well, regardless, yeah, Leone swallows the meth and while they're getting pulled over. and Yeah, so right before the cop comes up, she swallows a bag of meth, which is insane. Uh, insane. She starts getting insanely high while the cop is interrogating them. He, she mentions that they're coming from Parchman, and he immediately doesn't trust that and pulls everybody out of the car, puts everybody, except for Misty, and Kayla in handcuffs. Uh, Jojo reaches into his pocket for the uh, the little bag that his grandfather gave him, which I don't even know that we mentioned last time. No, it was um, it was still part of like a spiritual ritual to some degree of like channeling the 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 power of natural things. And yeah, Jojo yeah. very innocently reaches in his pocket and all of a sudden gets a gun put to his head. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, so that all happens. The cop searches the car and doesn't find anything. And Leone is like about to have a drug overdose. Um, but he leaves. Uh, and then Michael does an at home remedy of like milk and charcoal, makes her swallow it and vomit on the side of the road. And then finally, they start driving home. Uh, 
when they get back into town, Michael wants to go to his parents' house, which we talked about last time. His parents, he is white and Leonie is black, um, and his parents don't approve. They're super racist. Um, but he wants to take the kids there so that they can <coughs> hang out with their grandparents, um, and that doesn't go well. Yeah, it's because the... Leone's parents weren't home and so this was like a side thing that mm-hmm. they were just like let's go over there and, and all warnings were there to be like let's not do that yeah Leone hasn't showered or changed her clothes since she vomited on the side of the road like it's just a mess um so they go back or they go to Michael's parents house um that blows up in their face for a lot of different reasons but his parents are but his father is, like, atrociously racist, just, yeah. like, outwardly. Yeah, he doesn't even try to hide it. He basically says that they're not welcome in that house. His mother tries to kind of be like, it's okay, they're our family. But he is just not accepting. Yeah, so calls Leone a slur, which gets Michael and him into this huge brawl. <laughs> yeah, they have a physical fight. Leone takes the kids to the car. Um, and then Michael finally comes out some time later, uh, and they go back home. Um, I can confirm, by the way, that they stopped at Al's quickly for like a for like an evening, and then I. But I don't. Uh, I I think that they started like. Did they get stopped in the evening, or did they? Was it like during the day? I don't remember. I, thought- I think they slept at Al's house one night. Like yeah, they they slept at Al's house, but then it, it's like the next paragraph. Uh, Jojo is like waking up, like uh, Michael's waking Jojo up in the car because the police have pulled them, have like had their lights on. So mm. uh, they stop, yeah, they stop first, they sleep, they get cleaned up, and then as they're driving home, like the very next morning, they get pulled over. Yeah. Just with more vomit than after they've already cleaned no, up. God. Leonia, Leonia so, much vomit. so much vomit everywhere. Um, so in all of that, also Richie's here, a ghost boy. Um, <laughs> And his presence feels, like, pretty ominous throughout the second half, Um, at least from JoJo's perspective. Richie, like, his own narration, the chapters that he has, don't, like, they seem kind of innocent. Um, He just, like, is trying to figure out how he died, hoping that that will uh, help him cross over. But... Jojo is very untrusting of him and tries to keep him away from Kayla. Um, And eventually, there's a lot of, like, inner stuff here. But eventually, it gets to the point where Jojo, like, gives in and asks uh, Pop about Richie, the end of Richie's story while Richie is there, which is what Richie wanted. He wanted him to ask Pop Pop can't see Richie. Um, And we learn the very traumatizing story about how Richie died, uh, which includes him trying to run away with a rapist on the farm, um, trying to run away from Parchman, and then a lynch mob essentially going after the two of them. Uh, and Pop is the one that finds Richie and um, he, Mercy, kills him, um, essentially, because he's worried that if he doesn't, they will do much worse things to him, which he's already seen them do to the other man um, who ran away. Um, so we learned that, like, right towards the end of section two. Uh... And then we go into a scene where mom or ma'am is still very, very sick. She asks Leone to uh, help her, like, cross over, essentially, with some different kind of voodoo magic is maybe how I'd describe that. Um, Yeah, with, like, herbs and, like, natural things and stuff. Yeah, and Leone's very hesitant to do that, but eventually gives in because ma'am is very very like clearly very sick and um having some visions with Richie sort of like 
traumatizing her this is see this is the part i was worried about i don't even really know how to summarize this because there's so much going on yeah we should you can you can keep it pretty simple we can get into it with discussions yeah i just there's so much um but at the end right at the end uh ma'am dies richie is still here and uh leone and michael are basically not there and like they're not living there anymore they're very very distant at the end um so yeah that was a long-winded summary and i'm sorry i didn't know how to handle all of that no there's a lot of important there's like a lot of important things that happen like like i feel like the first half was almost like very uh it was like half or a third as dense as like what happens in the back half and it's just like there's a lot that is like almost crammed into the back half yeah, like even what we had said during some of the discussions that the first half seemed when we were making those comparisons to um, As I Lay Dying, where it was like this journey, we almost got like that succinct story at the beginning. And then the back half just kind of went into its own thing a little bit yeah. where where it wasn't this simple thing of like, let's get Michael from jail. Then you start getting into like afterlife themes and all of these other supernatural things. And it really felt like a completely different story in, in certain cases where it didn't match the tone of the, the first half during significant sections of the back half. Yeah. That was the first thing I wanted to talk about actually, because I knew Brian that you already had thoughts about this, but, um, the differences between the first <laughs> and the second half and, uh, like how that tone shifts, do we like the tone shift? How, like general thoughts on the second half? Yeah, I'd, I'd just say that like when I started looking at it, I got kind of curious that, you know, we saw the discussion questions in the back of Sing Unburied Sing, the copy that we have, where that's where that comparison to As I Lay Dying was put into our heads. Yeah. But... I don't actually know now if that was like a direct comparison that Jasmine Ward wanted to make overall. Uh, and, and if that wasn't just some, like the publisher trying to put something for those discussions, because obviously that would start to be, you know, whoever's at the publishing house putting questions in the book and not Jasmine Ward sitting like, hey, here's study guide questions. And maybe that's the case that Jasmine Ward wants to lead your discussion that way. But but to me, it seemed like that was something that maybe somebody else had put in. And it seemed like a lot of those similarities dissipated in the back half. And it started to become, as I mentioned earlier, kind of like a whole new story. And especially when we get to the very, very end and you see the expansion of this ghost side of the story that it just was like had nothing to do with As I Lay Dying at that point. Uh, except for maybe some tie-ins to like Addie's potential communication to the family from the afterlife, but we're getting into like a whole forest of ghosts yeah. at the end here, and it's like it seemed like it was wildly varied. And uh, I teased it out on one of the Instagram posts from the last week when we started that account, but like I got more Lincoln and the Bardo vibes mm-hmm. yeah, at the I was end. Just gonna- then, I was just going to say that. Yeah, then I did for As I Lay Dying. And so that was kind of an interesting thing that the tone shifted. I don't know that I completely always loved where the tone shift went, especially the end got kind of like, what is going on here? Uh, but I thought it kept it interesting, and I was glad to see it deviate, and it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to make a modern Mississippi version of as i lay dying which i appreciated and i that made me wonder if that wasn't a jesmond ward um inclusion there i have no idea uh yeah i mean i definitely got like lincoln and the bardo vibes like the last third at least um i also like am conscious of the fact that like like trying to be aware of the fact that like we are like splitting these books in half arbitrarily i mean like we we put a lot i mean we talk a lot about like the first half versus the second half but like we just stop at a chapter that's convenient in the middle and like uh it's like an important like like just like thing to think about because like i i want to say that like the the first half really did give me like 
as I lay dying vibes. <laughs> like, uh, like we, you know, that was kind of in our heads already because we had talked about that discussion question. Um, but I really didn't feel that at all starting in chapter seven or wherever, wherever we started the second half from. And so, um, I mean, there, you know, there are like some similarities that you can pull. I mean, I guess just like being in the deep South and like, like on a journey with, you know, and somebody's dying, like, you know, you can pull like some comparisons, <laughs> but like, um, but overall, I mean, like, I really did feel at the end, like, um, or even, even, you know, in the, in the times when, when Richie was there, like it felt much more like Lincoln and the Bardo. And, um, it actually made me think about, um, last, the la on our, on our first episode about this book, um, Jamie had mentioned that somebody, uh, that there were like some of the reviews, um, you know, mentioned like it being too like ghosty and people not liking the, the supernatural part. And I actually like, um, I actually like something that I ended up not loving about this book is that it seemed that it, it almost seemed, I don't want to like be too harsh, but like, it almost seemed like somebody said like, you should add a supernatural element like halfway through. And she was like, Oh shit. Like I got it. <laughs> and like, I, because it got very constant, like it got very concentrated in a supernatural, like only like, like halfway through, like Richie showed up and like, her, you know, ma'am was kind of already that kind of presence, but I don't know. I just kind of like, I wish if anything, I wish she would have like, like included much more detail about that. Like it, it almost felt a little weird that like, um, it touched so lightly on the supernatural. I felt like it. There were really no details about it at all. Yeah, because like Given was only in special circumstances. He wasn't just like a part of the journey like Richie was uh, in the back half. And that's the thing is like we didn't even get introduced to Richie until that very final chapter before right. we made that break. And Richie was then a very significant presence to it. So, like, it did create a – even though you were saying it's, like, arbitrary, it is interesting that whenever, yeah. we, whenever we make these uh, shifts, like, from first half to back half, that there often tends to be something that happens that yeah. does change the story a lot. And, like, Richie's presence did just because it was consistent and not, like, Leone maybe having something with her conscience, just, like, it didn't – tiptoe that anymore it was like no this is a supernatural phenomenon mm -hmm. it's not something that like you can maybe say she's hallucinating this is like very firmly planted in the supernatural now and it and it was very much significant or very much more so significant in the back half for mm -hmm. sure yeah um so danny you didn't uh necessarily enjoy the the ramping up of the ghost no. I, I, I really, I know, I, I did really, I enjoyed it. I wish that it would have been consistent throughout the whole book. Like I, okay. I was bummed like in the second half because I was like, oh man, I feel like, I feel like she just started talking about it halfway through. And like, I would have liked for it to have been all the way at the beginning so that like we really could have like gone into more detail. I almost like kind of had a hard time understanding the point of including kind of like supernatural, like a supernatural element because it was so lightly touched on. Um, I just wish it would have been like, it would have gone more into detail and it would have been more of a presence. Cause I was like, if you're just gonna kind of do like, you know, there's a ghost around and then all of a sudden at the end, there's like a bunch in like the, tr in like a whole forest of dead people. Yeah. Like it, it feels very like, you know, what happens next? Like what? You know, and that's that's I was just wanting more. I, I think that was the most jarring thing for me was like how much like the Richie thing I was on board with because I, I like the arc of Richie. But when we got to the last two chapters, it was just like it seemed like it made a third shift at that point where like Richie yeah. coming in was like that second shift or the second part, it was like a third part of the novel. So like once we get to the end, all of a sudden it's like, here's all of these people. And it was like such a different thing. And I, and I not saying I dislike it, but it was kind of jarring how much it was just like, Oh yeah. Remember Richie and given well, like here's 500 other ghosts out in the trees. Should we, yeah. Should we like real quick summarize the very last like two scenes? I mean, I don't even know how to summarize them, honestly. Like, I, 
I, a lot of it was like Richie was just trying to or he thought there was going to be some closure because he was finally able to leave with uh, Jojo. But then once he gets there, he thinks he, once he gets in the car, he thinks he's going to get closure by talking to Pop and seeing how he died through Pop's description. Mm-hmm. But then it doesn't happen. And he somehow thinks now he's going to get to the other side through mom or, yeah and, and given ends up being like no don't and all the family comes in and we see all of their like um kind of third eye that multiple members of the family can like see the supernatural or experience it and then given ends up going and richie doesn't which was kind of interesting to me that i was like what does richie need and what did given get yeah, yeah, so this is something I was going to bring up a little bit later. Um, but Wait. I'm going to talk about it now. Yep, Danny? <laughs> Can I just really quickly, we, like, don't have to talk about this at all for a long time, but, like, can we talk about how the dog's name is Casper? Like, <laughs> like what is, is that, like, as obvious as I think that it is? Or am I just, like, being dense? <laughs> like, I, is Casper the ghost too new to like be like harken back to? <laughs> I also noticed that, but I don't. I don't know. Is it? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I I will have to. I'll have to look it up or something. Yeah. I just like thought it was very funny. Like where there's all this talk about ghosts, and then all of a sudden, like there's just a dog named Casper, and I was like, oh, there are so many names. <laughs> it feels significant. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the thing I was going to bring up a little bit later, uh, I felt the way both of you feel about the last two chapters when I first read them. Um, and then I read this article online (laughs) and I felt, I like really, really enjoy the last two chapters now. And like, I'm still confused by them. Jamie's memoir. And then I read this article. Then I read (laughs) this article. In the New Yorker. (laughs) Okay, so this is from the LA Review of Books. I found it not because I was searching for an article about Sing Unburied Sing, but because I was stalking my uh, favorite English professor from college, and she wrote this article. So, So, um, it's called The New Black Gothic, uh, if you want to read it, on LA Review of Books. Um, and that is something I wanted to talk about of like Southern Gothic and how this plays into that tradition because we've talked about that this season already. But um, she frames talking about Sing Unburied Sing uh, and comparing it to a lot of other pieces of media that are uh, have like kind of similar themes, um, like This Is America by. Donald Glover, um, Childish Gambino. Um, But she starts it off by talking about that that scene from Sing Unburied Sing with the ghosts in the trees. And something that she pointed out that I didn't quite grasp, I think, when I read it, was that all of the ghosts, as their, like, litany of grief is coming to JoJo, all of the ghosts are describing, like, the very, very, very violent ways in which they died. Um, and her argument kind of in the article is that this scene is a discussion of how black Americans specifically are like weighted down by the violent history of their lives in America. And so like the idea that she brings up is that given is only able to get through to the other side because he does it with ma'am um like he grasped onto her essentially and that's her when she's talking about like i thought it would be my son and not richie who's standing there trying to get in with her um so i think richie was trying to like use this kind this innocent person who's dying in an innocent natural way to get through um and he can't because she can only take one person sort of um which i thought was just a really interesting reading of it because i hadn't thought of that yeah, I mean, I definitely recall the the violent ends to it, and especially like the violent ends to all of the lives of those that were in the trees. And it does make sense in the context of like, you know, 
when we actually get a full story of of Richie and see you know what he went through and then also see the way Given's death came about through a racist incident mm-hmm. like it does give some context to it and I think that like that relation wasn't that far off and I, I that I'm not saying that I disliked it or those themes of it because that was something that like was said and and that I picked up on is the the violent parts I just think that like as Danny had kind of mentioned that just from the fact that it came on so suddenly like if that was a significant theme to be built on I kind of wish that like those stories would have been brought forth or at least the presence or that we that we could have known of the presence of the others earlier to know that this was like a common thing and not just people that were related to this family in particular if that makes sense. I get that. I think that But I do like that. Like that's yeah. that's a great like point of like you know why that was specified that they had violent ends, especially in the context of the book. And I don't like dislike the last few chapters. I just thought that it happened so suddenly that it was like, by the way, here are hundreds, if not thousands of others <laughs> so quickly. Yeah, I felt really overwhelmed at that, by that at first also. And I, I, when I read it, I, like I told you, I was like, I feel like I need to reread the last two chapters. Yeah. Um. And I really enjoyed them when I read them, but I still was like, this is a book that I need to sit with for a second because I don't fully understand everything that happened. Um, I guess I just like... I'd like to read that article. Yeah, I'll send it yeah, to you guys. If you, are, if you are at home listening to this podcast, pause it and read this article because <laughs> it, it is saying everything we are saying just and like in a better way and it's much more eloquent and also like is just you should read it she's is great the paragraph is great it's much better than the way that we are talking about it right now um but but i mean yeah it's almost like she even says like it's it's almost like the point is that it wasn't like as flushed out as maybe like people would want it to i agree that i wish the transition maybe wouldn't have been so sudden but um you know the the like the point is that like that kind of violence is like has never gone away for black Americans. And also like, it's a part of everyday life uh, and it lives at home with them. She says like in their, in their tree and like that. Whew. Yeah. Go read the article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone read that article. Cherie Marie Harrison. She's great. I think Danny was just reading that while I was over here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Jamie said it's on LA review of bugs and Brian just turns and I'm like, I already have Chrome open. Yeah. Like, searching the article. Yeah. I was already reading. So now it. I definitely need to read it. But the one thing I will say, though, is, like, the supernatural element overall, I don't have a problem with in general because I alluded to it. But, like, Richie's arc in particular mm-hmm. was the biggest payoff of the book to me because there was a lot with the other characters that stayed exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Like at the end, yeah. we didn't get significant improvement of Leone and Michael. They still were seeing Al only home every once in a while. But like with Richie, I specifically teared up at the part where like he was there to hear his own story mm-hmm. yeah, and, and experience it in that way where you know, if it would have just been Jojo being like, Hey pop, you don't tell me about this thing. Like it still would have been affecting, but seeing the person there understanding what happened and how much it affected pop, though it was done with good intentions, but then still Richie feeling grief about it anyway. uh, it, It just made me tear up and it was like, to me the most affecting thing to me the biggest payoff and that i don't think that would have been possible without it being done in this supernatural way in my opinion i think that that made that moment more powerful that richie could be there to experience Mm -hmm. it too so yeah it almost added like it added a really interesting um uh an interesting layer to um or like a very like almost like traumatizing like poignant layer to like the concept of like mercy killings like um 
because like I know I haven't actually read Beloved but I know the premise of it and like um you know it, it feels it feels like a really poignant interesting way for Richie to learn um it almost is like uh you know, you get a little bit of, like, solace in the fact that, like, when that happens, like, the person dies and hopefully doesn't know what's going on, but, like, it's much more painful to read it, like, as though the person is, like, watching it happen or, like, hearing it, he like, remembering it um, or having it told to them. And it was, like, particularly heart-wrenching to, like, uh, to, like, read Richie, like, expe like uh, uh, learning that about the way that he died. Yeah, especially him being the same age that he was when he died and that, like, coming back to the forefront of how he even interacts with JoJo, mm -hmm. I think even more so highlights how young he was to face an atrocity like this for, you know, his outcome being something so much more significant than what, like he's even in jail for in the first place and and the fact that we just continue to see him as this young kid and have him act as this young kid that when you do hear it having seen him as the young kid it just yeah it it i think it adds a lot in that sense so i don't want to harp on on the supernatural so much that it makes it sound like it was like unjustified and i still think that it played a significant role in in a really powerful way yeah no i thought it was great um I have a question, Brian, just because you mentioned this, but uh, Brian and I both mentioned that we cried while reading the end of this. Did you cry because of Richie or because of what Pop said to Jojo? Uh, I think just Pop's whole thing that, like, it, you know, just hearing that he had this care for Richie and he was doing something with good intentions, but like was placed in such a position mm -hmm. from the society he was in that like that, that the, the, the best thing that he could have done, the best thing that he was forced into because of the way society was at that time was still something so traumatizing that he can't get over it himself. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even seem to, feel that much better about it even when considering the alternatives and he knows what those were with blue the yeah. the guy that richie ran away with uh outside of the jail and just the fact that like it highlighted all of these moments in his life it just like played from that moment to when he is the grandfather to these kids it just was like when he was married that didn't help when he saw these kids that didn't help when he interacted with his grandkids that didn't help it was just something that stuck with him forever when you know you see it from an outside perspective you're like that was that was the best thing that he could have done so just mm -hmm. seeing th that haunt him for something that he, like again was good intentions and he had no other choice with uh that was just kind of devastating yeah the part that i teared up at which i think i thought that we we were on the same page about this when we talked about it earlier this week but um it was right after that where he says, uh, like he's talking about uh, Richie and how that stayed with him forever. And he says, when Given died, I thought I'd drown in it, drove me blind, made me so crazy I couldn't speak. Didn't nothing come close to easing it until you came along. Like that's the line that got me where he was like talking to jojo about how jojo has eased his pain which is like such a theme throughout the rest of the novel of jojo like being the person for the adults in his life um which is so painful uh but and it's also just like so nice for him to get that love from an adult when we've seen this whole journey with leone and michael um so that was the part that made me cry um, speaking of Leone, Brian, you touched on this for a little bit, but we talked a lot about her, um, her character development in the first half, uh, and she <laughs> doesn't change much. Uh, did we have any hope for her in the second half or did we expect, did you guys expect her to end up where she did? I think I, I had a lot more empathy for her, going, like, like through the second half. Um, empathy for her, like, situation, uh, less, like, 
I don't know. I feel like I am I I can be upset with her for the way she treats Jojo and Kayla and also like feel empathy for the situation that, you know, she was in. Um but you know, it was really hard to read like her being um like very vindictive at Jojo. Like there was a point where you're reading from her point of view and um it's right at the beginning of the second half, Jojo is cleaning himself off uh there's probably it's probably vomit or something um there um, <laughs> if you're uncertain in this book vomit. it was probably vomit. probably vomit and um he he's like washing himself off and as he's doing it he is like remembering or thinking about how he's insecure about like his body a little bit just like his like still kind of pudgy like child like childlike like teenage body and um and leone uh or maybe he mentions it earlier but then you see leone like said makes a comment about like make sure you clean starts like, roasting him between them rolls and like she sees that it hurts him and like also he's her child and he's like 12 and that those were the parts where i was like all right she's crossed over from like not being like a character like a, a sympathetic character and is more just like she's just like trying she's jealous of her 12 year old and it and it really started to piss me off like i don't know i feel like you you have to uh, you have to step up in some way, like, as a parent, uh, especially because um, she, you know, she, like, chose to have the child, like, when she talked to her mom about it, I think, right? Like, they, she got pregnant, and her mom was like, would you like me to do something about it? And Leonie said no. And, you know, I'm not saying that as, like, a whatever 16-year-old, she, like, had all of the information that she needed in order to make that decision. But, like, I don't know. It was frustrating to read her for sure. I don't know that I had a lot of hope for her. I don't think that I had a lot of hope for her even at the end of the first half. Um, I, I'm i not, like, wholly surprised that she ended up um, kind of being the way that she was, but I did feel the most sympathy for her when she was dealing with um, having to, uh, like, like help her mom cross over. When her mom asked her to do that, I really felt a lot of sympathy for her. That was, that was, like, I don't know. That was the part where I, like, my sympathy for her peaked. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that, that, like, I, I don't think I had much hope for her at the end of the first half anyway. I think the thing I was holding out hope for was with Michael getting involved. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that maybe that would be something that would help ease the pain that she's feeling, um, whatever you know that may be it, it, there's a lot of factors as to what pain she's feeling uh but i thought that michael would be some sort of a remedy hopefully um and then once he got back in the picture in the car and you know she's still almost exactly the same if not somewhat eased by michael being a little bit of uh he had a little bit of a lighter touch as a parent overall, not much because he still had significant moments where like he even had beat Kayla yeah, at the table later. Uh, but just the fact that he had somewhat of a lighter touch, I was like, okay, well maybe this is going to be something that like, this can be a, a whole thing for Leone, like her family's back together. Um, and it just didn't seem like even when he got back in the picture that much had changed. I don't I think I lost most hope at that point but still never stopped feeling sympathy for her because of the situation with Given uh with her drug addiction but yeah like like Danny said just these moments where she's like actively antagonistic um that's a big tell that you know mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily from uh like her being high for instance it was just like coming from a darker place than that even because it was something that she was willingly doing mm-hmm. um but yeah of course when when she's with her mom and like w- still wants to help in whatever way that is uh, unfortunately it's to do some mystical uh ritual to bring on her mother's death by her request you know th- like that's a very sympathetic thing but yeah overall like it was just hard to feel hope for Leone because it didn't seem like there was a lot that could change her at that point. Yeah. We're kind of running out of options for that. I feel like I had, like, the tiniest glimmer of hope in that, um, like, second to last chapter where she is helping her mom. Yeah. Um, 
And I thought maybe that would give her, like, when I was reading it, maybe that would give her some closure on Given, um, like, seeing him cross over. Uh, but clearly it didn't. Yeah. Um, like, she just spirals even further. Um, she seems really upset by the fact that he is, like, fully gone at that point. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate that it, like then even seems like he was somewhat of an anchor. And I guess that's playing out through the whole novel anyway, but like given showing up when she's high of like a decision that she's actively making to remind her that she's making this decision. Like he is significant. Like as we had kind of talked about, he's like her conscience without actually being literally that, but like he plays into that a bit. Uh, but yeah, with that gone, it seems like that net for her is also gone, and and it does make sense that she spirals further without that reminder every time. Yeah. So. All right, guys. I uh, want to move into final thoughts. Uh, how'd you how'd you like the book overall? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go. I I really like. I think I enjoyed the second half much more than I enjoyed the first half. Um, but like I said earlier, I, I wish that the first half maybe would have been a little more like the second half in terms of just like maybe density or um, how concentrated all of the action was. Although like, you know, it was very, it was very um, uh, effective, like all of that action happening in the second half. I just kind of wish that like, the, uh, the supernatural kind of like elements would have been a little more detailed in the first half, but um, I, I mean, I, I loved, uh, I loved the way that she wrote it. I loved that it was from the perspectives of different, uh, different characters. I really liked reading about just like a touch of kind of like Louisiana like esque like or a deep South esque like um, voodoo, uh, like magic. Um, I liked that element a lot. Um, and also just yeah the the way that she told the story of like Richie kind of to him um as a ghost I really enjoyed as well so yeah I mean I I don't know I that does she have any other book does she have other books I want to read them yeah Yeah, she has um a few others another one (laughs) that won the bash the national book award as well which is called um salvage the bones Uh, oh yeah okay yeah I have coworkers who really, really love Salvage the Bones. I need to read it. Brian? Yeah, I think um, it was just a jarring experience to get to the back half because, um, you know, anybody that listened to the second half of As I Lay Dying, that was like a surprise um, hit for us. Um where we all enjoyed that a lot more than we were expecting to. Uh, And it was this road novel. It was one that Jamie, even in the middle of the episode, was like, I think this is like a five-star book for me. And it was like coming off of the high of that and then having the expectation, which again, it's like our own fault for like having the expectation in the first place, but like expecting another like road novel like that and exploring similar things where – like, like I said, it seemed like that kind of ended in the first half. And when the second one happened, I was like, what, what's going on here? Um, and I think I liked the first half better because I, like, had the expectation of it, like, fulfilling that road novel role. And I really liked their journey and how it helped characterize who each of them were. Uh, but that being said, getting into the second half, the scene with Richie was still the most affecting part of the book that uh, it, it was worth it to push through. Obviously we're doing it for the podcast, but just to get to that and, and just like get a story like that um, was really incredible in the back half. And so I enjoyed that a lot. Um, wasn't like an overall hit for me, like as I lay dying was, but um, I, I definitely would want to revisit the last couple chapters again especially after reading the article that you had mentioned because i think there was a lot of complexity in there that you know sometimes you miss just on the prospect of like reading to the end and with that peak coming for me with richie's story with still two chapters left uh, i think i kind of like 
blazed past the next two and it those obviously have as much if not more importance uh in the overall story uh that i just feel like i did myself a disservice to not pay attention more to that but uh overall i i did like it and i i do enjoy novels that there's not uh a need to wrap everything up with a nice bow like I thought that it made total sense that Leone and Michael went back to the way that they were. I think it would have been a disservice for those two to have a happy ending to some degree, especially considering the history of both of them and their actions. So um, I think that uh, overall it was a great book um, that I, I just think having the expectation of of what we had read before also did it a disservice because it definitely stands alone. I think that that's something that I definitely saw that it stands on its own from as I lay dying and uh, I wouldn't necessarily go to somebody else to give them that expectation if I told them about this book. I would want them to go into it very fresh. Yeah, I get that. I I enjoyed like being able to compare them throughout um Especially thinking of it, like, in the gothic tradition. I think it's interesting to look at, like, how that tradition has changed in modern day. Um, but not that doesn't necessarily mean you have to compare it to As I Lay Dying. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I think I liked the first and the second half equally. Like, I just, like, enjoyed the whole thing. I don't... There wasn't a chapter where I was, like, oh, I'm kind of bored with this right now. Um... Yeah, I will say it did. It did keep my attention a lot. It, yeah. it was. It, it flowed very fast. There was never a lull for me at all. Yeah, yeah, I was absolutely engaged the entire time. I finished. I finished this book like two days after we finished the last, like re- after we recorded the last episode. I mean, also quarantine helps with that. But like, <laughs> I was so like, I, I mean, I, I, I really wanted to like. I was excited to like finish recording and the and like read it, start reading it again because I was really engaged the whole yeah. time. I think that, and I think that that's a high compliment. Like to circumvent everything else is that like it was a very readable book for sure all the way yeah definitely very very engaging the whole time um it was a book that made me and this was true before i read my professor's article but also very true after it it was a book that like made me want to sit down and write an essay about it like that's how that's how i deconstructed books in college and that's how this made me feel again of being like i need to sit down and take some notes and figure (laughs) out what's going on because i liked it um but yeah i really really enjoyed it i definitely will read more from jasmine ward yeah i i think a lot of people um because also this book was very divisive i'll just say this quickly since we're uh we're we're getting to the end here but this was a semi divisive on booktube at least with people that i follow but mm. a lot of people uh, across the board had su- like such great things to say uh about salvage, salvage yeah salvage the bones so i i would definitely be interested to read that especially given the fact that like a lot of people that read this was off the back of uh, again another book of hers that won a national book award and that was like the big notoriety uh, original part of the notoriety of her career mm-hmm. uh so i i would be curious to read that and see how how that compares to this yeah well cool guys thanks for talking with me good choice james thanks that's the second episode in the row or that <laughs> Danny said that. Good choice, James. <laughs> Good choice, James. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, uh, that is the second episode of our quarantine with books, <laughs> as per Danny. Um, and so that means uh, I'm assuming next time, because in Kansas City we are – in a 30-day stay-at-home order, which we pretty much were anyway, but it's very official till the end of April. So it sounds like we'll be back in another quarantine episode for next time, but that's going to be the start of the third book of the second season, and that's Danny's. And now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be reading Rabbit Run by John Updike. I'm so curious. Cause yeah, the, I don't know what it's going to be like. Well, the thing that I saw is like, it's just one of those that, you know, there's a lot of novels from the mid 
20th century that like it was very notable because it like bucked the norm but didn't age well i think is kind of the vibe that i've been seeing (laughs) which i i still like reading those because like it's fascinating to see what was like something that would buck the norm that like maybe seems normal now because i think it's just good for context of like really this was something that was like scandalous (laughs) like yeah, it also, like, from what I've read, like, in case you just, like, want to be prepared, you guys, and also you guys listening. Um, <laughs> Finger guns it, it, through the computer. <laughs> <laughs> listening. Um, it's very, like, death of a salesman vibes. Like, oh. I have not read that. Like, the man, I, I read it recently. Well, semi-recently. I, it was your book. Um, <laughs> and um, it's very just, like, uh, 60s like a man is like trapped in a loveless sad marriage in a boring sales job like I guess every every man in the 60s was um, and, uh, <laughs> that's the 60s <laughs> uh, that's like what that's like the exact like um, feel that I get when I like read the, the summary um, so I, yeah but I honestly like but beyond that I really have aside from like um reading about like how John Updike was just like a blatant misogynist and like kind of a sleazy writer like I don't have any other preconceived notions so I know and that's the thing that keeps getting brought up so I'm curious to finally like get into it because I I just want to know what the deal is Uh, so yeah we will be back with that next time uh, and then we'll have to figure out what we're doing for book number four, how we're going to organize that, because the, the Rona has really been... <laughs> yeah, it seems like we might not have a guest. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> you can double FaceTime. We can get a, a nice Zoom call going. We'll, we'll do a Zoom call for, <laughs> yeah. for, for this fourth book. Uh, so anyway, uh, whose turn is it to scat? Who's trying to scat us out? I think it's Danny. Well, I think Jamie needs to do her uh, her uh, Skype uh, ringtone as the nice FaceTime scat. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.